Hey guys, welcome back to Taking Inspiration's MMA show. This is um, Taking Inspiration with Dakota Findlay, um, and that's me. I'm your host, Dakota Findlay. So I'm going to be breaking down the fights that just happened over the last weekend and prefacing the fights coming up in the the following weekend, so this coming weekend. Um, there's a lot to get into, and I just want to get right into it, and this is MMA show number two. So far, we kind of started this podcast out as mostly MMA. Uh, um, honestly, that's really what's been going on in my personal life interest-wise right now. So yeah, it's an exciting time to be an MMA fan and let's get into it. So last Friday night, we had Bellator 215. Uh, it was headlined by Matt Mitrione and Sergey Karatanov. And man, this could have been i feel like this weekend the theme was man it could have been that's the that's the theme of all of the fights this weekend i don't know about you guys but i kind of left the weekend feeling underwhelmed i mean i just think that so many of the matchups over the weekend could have just been such barn burners and they turned out to be somewhat disappointing and i'm bummed out about it but that's how it goes in mixed martial arts you know, matchups that might be great on paper could turn out to be, you know, not not as exciting. And that could have been for the fighters just, you know, aren't in the right state of mind, i.e. Francis Ngannou, Derek Lewis, or um, the matchup just wasn't wasn't right. But for whatever reason, uh, we had a lot of on what seemed like on paper great matchups. And instead of what seemed like a great matchup, we got a ton of, um, uh, I don't know, let down is such a tough word because in the world of MMA, you, you really got to respect what these guys do. They put their bodies on the line and and um, they go out there and they give it their all. And, and who are we as MMA fans to say that wasn't their all? But yeah, I just feel like it was a lackluster weekend. But let's get into it. Bellator 215, Matt Meathead Mitrione versus Sergey Karatanov. And this could have been a vicious, maybe first round, second round KO. Both these guys, you know, are uh, they have tons of knockouts on their resume. And uh, what we got was a accidental groin strike by Matt Mitrione. Um, so he, he accidentally groin strike. He accidentally... Um, Striked Karatanov in the groin early in round one, and the groin strike was so hard that Karatanov was unable to continue. He took part of the five minutes he was allotted by the ref, but he was in such pain and agony, and it was clear on his face. I mean, you could tell he was screaming and... um he was he was in visible pain um he could barely open his eyes and he was yeah he was in a lot of pain and i have i definitely don't know what i definitely don't want to know what it's like to be kicked in the uh the groin by matt matrione but um yes that was how uh the fight ended it was ruled a no contest as matrione's groin strike was accidental karatanov was taken out of the um out of the cage on a spinal board because uh, he couldn't get up and uh, he was in such such pain and I guess we learned the next day that he suffered a pretty a 
a pretty painful hemorrhoid as a result of the groin strike. So some people were saying, hey, maybe put them on Bellator 216 because this was on Friday night. Put them on 216 Saturday night. But um, I think Mitrione said he had a, a dance to go to with his daughter and with Karatanov with the hemorrhoid, I guess he couldn't couldn't fight either. So that was Bellator 215. Um, could have been a really great fight, but it ended in an accidental groin strike. So maybe we'll see this fight in the future. If I'm Karatanov, I probably want to stay as far away from Mitrione as I possibly can. Although it was accidental, I mean, dude, I, ah, man, I just, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to get kicked in the, the groin so hard that you have to get carried out on a spinal board and you get a hemorrhoid. That's a uh, worst case scenario, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. So Bellator 216 was the following night. This was Saturday night, both in Connecticut. Um, the first fight on the card, I want to give a little shout out to um, an up and coming fighter who was, I think, I think he was the first fight on the main card. It was Austin Vanderford versus Cody Jones. Uh, he defeated Cody Jones via an arm triangle choke in the first round, just before the end of the round at four minutes and 49 seconds of round one. And uh, Austin, um, as you probably know him as Paige Van Zandt's boyfriend, but uh, he's quickly making a name for himself. He has uh, He's built up a pretty impressive resume outside of uh, the primary fight leagues we know, like UFC and Bellator. He... Um, is finally now stepping up to, I guess, the big leagues in a way, um, if you'd call Bellator the big leagues, or at least another notable promotion in in the States. So, yeah, that was it was a pretty dominant performance. He got the submission relatively quick, quickly and didn't let Cody Jones get out of the first round. So shout out to Austin Vanderford, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can bring in the future. He, sound, he appears at least to be a really interesting prospect, and I can't wait to... Uh, see what he can bring in his next fight. Okay, so later on in the card, we had Czech Congo versus Vitaly Minikov. If you remember, uh, and as I I said in the the last podcast, um, I think it's hilarious. If you listen back to that last podcast, I was so hyped about Bellator 215, 216, and uh, the UFC on ESPN card last night, which was Sunday night. I was so hyped about it, and... uh, (laughs) I just feel kind of like silly looking back on it now. But whatever. We keep moving on. So, Czech Congo versus Vitaly Minikov. This is a... um, They're running it back from their last fight, which was in 2014, when Minikov was defending his heavyweight belt in Bellator for the second time. And in that fight, he defeated Czech Congo handedly by decision. Since that fight... Minikov has not fought again in Bellator. Uh, He left Bellator in 2014, never came back to defend his heavyweight belt. They stripped him in 2016. Uh, He still didn't come back. Now Bader is the champ. And Minikov, five years later, uh, has returned to Bellator and he's fighting his last Bellator opponent in Czech Congo. Czech Congo, um, one of the criticisms in his career is lackluster performances. Um, he he has the looks of a great fighter. He has the skill sets of a great fighter. But one of the primary criticisms of Czech Congo throughout his career was he just never was able to step up to the plate and deliver the performances that many people thought he was capable of. So I think that that same uh, that same criticism uh, can be said of what we saw on Saturday night. 
Congo um, has been on a tear lately. He's been finishing a lot of his opponents in Bellator. He it finally it almost seemed like he got a second win in his career. He's been having really exciting fights, and now we had. A really a lackluster fight. Minikov seemed to take the pressure and he was the aggressor most of the fight. Um, a lot of it seemed like Congo didn't really want to engage. He um, he really seemed to try to avoid the fight, avoid the pressure and, and run around the cage as Minikov tried to chase him down and bring the fight to him. So I wasn't super impressed with Congo's... Um, disinterest in engaging actually in the fight with Minikov but but Congo would do uh, a pretty interesting thing at the end of each round whereas Minikov probably won each of these three rounds up until about the last minute of each round about the last 60 seconds of each round Congo would put on the pressure he would um I don't I don't know what it was but at the last 60 seconds of each round Congo would um he would really have some sort of a, of a extra motivation. Something about the last, the end of each round, he would get a sudden burst of fighting spirit within him, and he would um, show immense aggressiveness and uh, and look to finish Minikov for about sixty seconds. So he would he would really um, foot off the gas, foot off the gas for four minutes, and then all of a sudden, zero to 60 for about 60 seconds, and then then the same exact thing would happen in the next round, the next round, and the next round. So... I wouldn't... It's tough to say he won each of those rounds, though, because if you... you dominate I don't even know if dominate's the right word but if you are relatively inactive for most of the fight other than for about three minutes can that win you the fight and certainly it can because if in if in each of those singular minutes so of singular minute of round one two and three respectively you showed absolute and complete dominance and almost finished your opponent I think that could warrant a possible decision of by the judges um I think the commentators were saying that the judges can be easily swayed by um, what they see at the end of rounds and what they see at the end of the fight. Um, so, the, so what seemed like a, a pretty dominant win by Minikov actually turned out to be a decision win by Czech Congo. I think that that was due to two parts. Um, first off was Congo's uh, step up in action towards the end of each round so he would try to you know not show a lot of activity within the round but leave a memorable moment at the end of each round showing showing much more activity than he sh- he had shown earlier in each round and then at the end um, Minikov was absolutely exhausted and the commentators were saying that they thought maybe Minikov's obvious exhaustion played a role in the fact that he lost the decision I don't know if that's necessarily fair I don't know if you can judge a fight based off of how someone looks after the fight's over because Minikov really held it together up until the fight was over and then he sat on his stool and absolutely just could not get up he was so exhausted and he could barely stand up for the decision when the guy's hands were raised but i don't i don't know if that that's necessarily a fair statement to say that because he was so exhausted at the end of the fight that showed that that should be reason enough to decide who should win but either way 
Congo uh, won a decision, got a decision win over Vitaly Minikov. This tarnishes Vitaly Minikov's perfect record. And um, this was Minikov's welcome back party to Bellator. I, um, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this win. In in my, from my perspective, it seemed like it was a pretty clear win for Minikov. But then, but you got to throw in the Bellator commentators said the the exhaustion from Minikov at the end of the fight, and then Congo's, uh, you know, pedal to the metal at the end of each of the each of the rounds, is what got him the win. Either way, I was unimpressed with Congo's performance, and I think he could have he could have really shown us uh, much better version of his of his um fighting abilities i will say though in the post-fight speech congo had said he has been dealing with some stomach issues and that's why he weighed in although he's a heavyweight fighter that's why he weighed in lighter than he normally weighs in because he's been having trouble uh, i guess digesting food keeping his food down and all around he's been having trouble really just um i guess absorbing his food so it sounds like he was pretty sick going into this fight so i am sympathetic to that and perhaps that is a perhaps that is uh, a key indicator as to why congo looked the way he did in this fight but either way i want to see congo back and i would love to see him uh more towards the way he had looked in the fights leading up to this fight with minikov moving on Mirko Krokop versus Roy Nelson. Now this is a um, this is a replay of their fight back in the UFC, where Krokop was handedly winning the fight until Roy Nelson uh, knocked Krokop out in the third round. So Krokop was looking to come back after I, I don't even know how many years it's been seven plus years to avenge his loss to nelson and that he did and i think there's some sort of statistics saying Krokop is seven for seven in all of his rematches in which he had lost the previous fight so he avenged all i guess seven so seven losses in which he's had rematches he has avenged each of those losses and won the rematch and that's pretty dang impressive and i give it to crow cop especially at 44 years of age he was looking jacked man he looked so jacked i was i was like and roy nelson even said you know he thinks crow cop had doctors going into the fight that were making him better and stronger i mean he looked for 44 years of age he was he was yeah jacked um it was it was a it was a relatively exciting fight. I fully expected to see a finish in this fight, especially um, considering the fact Roy Nelson has been coming off of a two or three fight skid in Bellator. Uh, yeah, two fight skid, I think, because uh, he lost the close decision to Mitrione, and um, and he fought. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Karatanov. Karatanov knocked Roy Nelson. So Karatanov, the guy that um, Mitrion was supposed to fight Friday night, um, Karatanov knocked Roy Nelson out um, a couple months ago. So so between Mitrion, the Mitrion loss and the Karatanov loss, Nelson was looking to um, you know show a little more dominance in Bellator because I think now his record in Bellator is 1-3 with this Krokop loss. So I fully was expecting Nelson to come in hot, looking for the finish. Um, 
But Krokop was uh, was able to avoid the takedowns pretty much throughout the fight. Other than at the end of the third round, uh, Nelson was able to secure a pretty large takedown. But other than that, Krokop did a great job with his hip placement and his ability to, you know, get him in. Excuse me. Krokop was able to really avoid the takedown. And um, I respect that, especially with someone with the strength of Roy Nelson. And both men still have their chins. Although 40, Roy Nelson's 42 and Krokop's 44, I mean, they both ate pretty tremendous shots within the fight. Krokop looked for the finish multiple times, and so did Roy. And neither of them was able were, were able to knock out the other. So they both have definitely still have chins on them, and they definitely both ate some decent shots. Another thing Krokop was able to do throughout the fight was in the clinch, he, w- he was able to... Um, throw um in the clinch he was able to um do some uppercuts and uh, the uppercut uh, uppercuts within the clinch were effective he also uh focused on the body throughout much of the fight and he um attacked roy's uh, attacked roy with body shots using things like uh, some pretty decent knees and kicks and um, I think the body shots helped to make a difference towards the end of the fight, too. You could tell by the third round that the pace was starting to really slow down. The The two fighters really gave what they had in round one and round two. And by the round three, the pace had started to slow down. And um, overall, it was a competitive fight. Krokop avenged his loss to Nelson, and he looked pretty dang good doing it. Now we get to the main event. And let me tell you what. This was supposed to be the UK grudge match. It was supposed to be Michael Venom Page's first true test. I know the Cyborg Santos fight was a it was a real test too, and he definitely passed that with one with flying colors. And keep in mind, Cyborg Santos did take Michael Venom Page down in that fight, but he wasn't able to do much once he took him down. Now, remember the takedown. Paul Daly is a guy that has been on record saying he doesn't really respect guys who employ a lot of wrestling in their fights because they are not exciting and um, they make the fight rather boring. So this this is a guy who um, looks to go for the finish, looks to get the knockout and um, not wrestle, not grapple, not do those types of things. But that's not what he did going into this fight. Paul Daly was looking for the takedown and got the takedown and got the takedown a few times throughout this fight. And Douglas Lima was with some of the panelists right before the fight started and said, "I do think Paul Daly is going to go for the takedown." And Chael Sonnen kind of like laughed at Douglas Lima and was like, "Dude, what are you thinking? Like, no, he's not. This is going to be a pure striking match, and that is what we're going to get, and we're probably going to see a finish, honestly." And Douglas Lima said, "No, I think I think we're going to see Paul Daly go for a takedown, and that is what we saw." I couldn't believe it, honestly. I couldn't believe the amount of grappling and takedowns within this fight. Paul Daly. Um, yeah, that was it was not super characteristic of him. And some people were saying, you know, if you get taken down by Paul Daly, MVP, you got real problems. And if you get a if you get a higher level wrestler in there, higher level um, ground specialist in there, that could really speak problems. And and yeah, I mean, 
takedowns are impressive. It's just not what we really expected out of the fight. And I got to say, the fight was relatively lackluster. There wasn't a lot of action. Um, and both guys, they're I mean, they're both really accomplished strikers. And they both had the skill sets to put on a very impressive showcase. Um but that's not what we saw. Daly tried to dictate the pace of the fight um, by going for the takedowns and holding the clinch throughout. But um, I think MVP's takedown defense really needs work. And at the end of the fight, um, by the time we got through all five rounds, Michael Venom Page won by uh, decision. Uh, but although I don't, I don't really know if anyone necessarily won that fight because a few of uh, a few holes in Michael Venom Page's game especially the takedown game in terms of his takedown defense has been exposed and that's something that could be exploited by Douglas Lima in his upcoming you know because that's who uh, Paige is going to fight next his fight's going to be in the next round of this welterweight grand prix against Douglas Lima and that's something Lima is probably going to look to exploit and Paul Daly was really upset he felt like he got robbed he felt like the fight was fixed in a way because Bellator was looking to um, ensure that the promotion that they're putting into Page is spent wisely and they want to secure their investment. I don't know. I, I mean, it was a close fight. Um, perhaps Daly won it. Perhaps Michael Venom Page won it. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was tough because I thought that it could have been so much more exciting. I wish they would have went more for the stand-up route, went more for the uh, just a striking match. And I think the fans could have got a real treat. But... Yeah, I mean, it was it was really disappointing, and um, yeah, yeah, it made me it made me think that um, Michael Venom Page needs some work in terms of particular aspects of his skill set, and you know, particularly like the uh, the takedown defense, and I, I just don't think we saw the best version of Michael Venom Page or Paul Daly Saturday night, and um, overall, just a little disappointed. Um, and that seems to be the theme for uh, the two Bellator fights. I was just pretty much disappointed uh, because I think although Bellator did a great job putting together some interesting matchups, I don't think that the matchups played out the way that I had anticipated and many fans had anticipated. But that's the way it goes. Uh, matchmaking is not um, something that's like, you know, highly scientific. It is. Um, sort of like a prediction, you know, I, these two guys are exciting and interesting and let's see what happens when we put them in the in the cage together. And it just so happens that a lot of the matchups this last weekend just didn't turn out to be really that exciting. Perhaps we'll see an MVP daily rematch down the road. Um, I know Paul Daly is probably approaching the end of his career, but um, yeah, I just, I there was a lot of hype around this and it was, you know, probably one of the more notorious fights in Bellator history in terms of notoriety. A lot of, a lot of fighters were looking forward to it, fans, um, and yeah, I think it, I think the fight had just so much more potential. All right, so enough of the uh, the sob story of Bellator 215 and 216 because we got another Bellator fight, Bellator 217, coming up Friday night. James Gallagher versus um, Stephen Graham. So I, I admittedly don't know a lot about Stephen Graham. Uh, I think this is probably a good matchup for James Gallagher considering the fact they threw him to the Wolves with Ricky Bandejas. He talked all that crap up until the fight with Ricky Bandejas and he got knocked out. 
knocked out cold in the, I guess it was the first round, right, against Bandejas. And now Bandejas went on to knock out Aaron Pico in the first round, too. So Ricky Bandejas is no joke. And to get knocked out by a guy like that is nothing to hang your head about. But I think it was a um, a piece of humble pie that Gallagher ate, and hopefully he learned something uh, coming out of that. I don't know how he wouldn't have learned something coming out of that. And um, yeah, I think he has had time to recollect, compose his, his thoughts about what had happened in that fight. And yeah, and now I think he's looking to get back on the winning track against a uh, newcomer to Bellator with Stephen Graham. So I looked into his record and he has um, racked up a similar amount of wins to James Gallagher. So they both have, um, uh, you know, roughly 10 or so fights put together, um, 10 or so professional fights each. So I think in terms of experience level, this is a better fight for James Gallagher in terms of you know, building his career and the next steps for him. For Stephen Graham, this is a great chance for himself to make a name off of James Gallagher because he already has a bit of hype coming, you know, surrounding him and his name in the gym he fights out of, you know, with Conor McGregor and the um, that team in Ireland. So this this is going to be an interesting fight. But Ricky Bande, um, excuse me, uh, Stephen Graham has a quite a few submission wins to his to his name in the other the other fights that he had outside of you know outside of the main promotions as we know them. I think one of the promotions was Walkout FC. So um, he has a couple guillotine wins, rear naked choke. Um, so he is uh, a, a guy who is looking to go for the submission, similar to James Gallagher. So these are two ground specialists, um, or at least um, ground-oriented fighters. I don't know if specialists, because they are both relatively young in their careers. These are both ground-oriented fighters who are looking probably to get the submission. So I think this is going to be interesting matchup. So I don't think we're going to see any knockouts in this fight. I think it's going to be probably a lot of grappling, takedowns, and groundwork. Now, will that lend itself to being relatively exciting? We'll have to see. We'll have to see. But I think this is a great chance for James Gallagher to get back on the winning track. For Stephen Graham, you know, you don't ever want to count anybody out. And I think this is a great opportunity for him to, you know, make a name for himself in Bellator and to move on to another um, another opponent and build his name within the Bellator brand. But it's going to be an interesting fight for both of the guys on the ground. And um, I'm excited to see how James Gallagher bounces back from that knockout loss to Bandejas. And, um, you know, if he gets past Stephen Graham, it's going to be interesting to see what 2019 uh, has for him. One of the primary criticisms of James Gallagher has been his um, persona he tries to put on, similar to Conor McGregor. People say that it has come off as a bit disingenuine, and especially after he got humbled by Bandejas in his last fight, um, people said, you know, maybe he got figured out or he got um, shown, the hype train got derailed. And um, people are trying, or, or basically people are basically saying that, you know, he was a bit of a hype train and uh, his mouth was um, more notorious than his actual fight game. Um, I think it's a bit premature to say that yet, especially considering he is in his early 20s. And I think that the, that James Gallagher brings an interesting game. And I'm looking forward to see what he what he has for Stephen Graham. Um, 
you know, uh, the, 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 the critiques, the critics, the, the people with the criticisms, they could be right. Um, or not. And that's the great thing about mixed martial arts. This gives Gallagher a second chance against, I think this is what Scott, Scott, Scott Coker and the Bellator team did a great thing here with Gallagher. I think they're handling it correctly. They are giving him, they're giving Gallagher a opponent in which, um, he has similar experience level. And I think that this is a great way to handle an up and coming prospect. I think the Bandejas fight was a bit premature for him. And this fight, I think, is well-suited, and I'm excited to see what comes out of it. Okay, so other than Friday night, that's Bellator 217. We got UFC on ESPN. Um, okay, no, excuse me. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. We haven't even covered the the freaking Francis Ngannou, Cain Velasquez card yet. So that was, uh, excuse me, I just th- I think I just went with the whole Bellator theme. So I just broke down Bellator 215, Bellator 216, and I gave you a little preview of Bellator 217 coming this Friday night. But although I just gave you a preview of what's coming in this Friday night, let's circle it back to UFC on ESPN1, headlined by Francis Ngannou versus Cain Velasquez. Now, this was a pretty interesting fight night, and it was very lengthy they had a ton of matchups coming into this fight and both the prelims and the main card both aired on espn and i think this was great notoriety for the sport for the company and um espn gets a lot gets a lot of eye gets a lot of eyeballs on that particular channel and i think it was great that the prelims even were able to be aired on espn as well so i want to talk about a fight that i think was on fight pass it was Luke Sanders and Henan Burrell. So Henan Burrell, as you remember, was the 135-pound champ at one point. And since his loss to um, TJ Dillashaw, people have said he's kind of been on a downward spiral. Uh, regardless, he is an excellent mixed martial artist, at least at one point in his career. And Luke Sanders absolutely had a vicious TKO of Henan Burrell. They, the the TKO was so impressive and it was vicious. I can't wait to see what Luke Sanders's Luke Sanders outlook has on the future in the 135 pound division. But either way, his vicious TKO was um, you know quite the sight to see. And you got to look it up on YouTube if you haven't seen it because it was it was gnarly. So. Sanders knocks out Burrell on fight pass, and that was a great way to kind of kick off the fight night. Moving on, another fight that was of worthy um, notoriety was Aljermaine Sterling versus Jimmy Rivera. It was a grudge match of sorts because both Sterling and Rivera were on similar MMA circuits back in the day, but although they had been kind of competing on um, similar circuits, they never actually fought, so this matchup, in a way, was a long time coming. In the fight, Sterling's striking looked great. Um, and they both put together great combos that, um, and, and excuse me, Sterling's, uh, Sterling striking looked great throughout the fight. And he was putting together solid combos that kept Rivera at a distance throughout most of the fight. Um, it really didn't seem like Rivera was able to put much together and it was a pretty solid win for Sterling. Um, he was, he looked impressive and especially I know Sterling is great on the ground. His striking looked great and, um, I was very impressed with his win. Rivera is no joke, and this was a great win to push Sterling towards the top. Both these guys are are um, 
have similar losses to I, they both they both have collectively lost to Marlon Marais. And if you remember, Aljamain Sterling got uh, finished by Marlon um, about 13 months ago, something like that. And since then, Sterling's put together, I think, three or so wins. And so he has after the fight, after his pretty solid decision win over Jimmy Rivera, he called out Marlon Marais and said that the fight was basically a fluke, you know, with him, the loss, and he would like to get that one back. And I think Sterling versus Marais would be an interesting fight. I'd like to see Sterling get another guy within the, the top 10 before he moves on to Marais because, I mean, Dillashaw versus Marais is going to be a great fight. I know Dillashaw is probably going to be against her, uh, Cejudo next, but, uh, the, yeah, the Marlon Marais is no joke, and he is a surging contender in the 135-pound bantamweight division. So, yeah, um, and Ally Quinta was there to support Sterling, and, you know, they are out of um, the New York gym, and I think that, yeah, it was a great win for Sterling, and he is a very interesting prospect, and it continues his, his winning effort. So, another fight on ESPN was Andre Feely versus Miles Jory. Uh, these are both two up-and-coming contenders that have a lot of notoriety, respectively, to their names. Uh, I know Miles Jury has uh, been in the same gym as Dominic uh, Cruz, uh, at least at least at some point in his career. I don't know if they both work out of the same gym now, but I know Dominic, Dominic Cruz was talking about having trained with him previously while he was commentating the fight. And Andre Feely, of course, works out of Team Alpha Male. So, um, yeah, this was an interesting fight for two um, pretty decent prospects. It was a competitive fight the whole way through. Feely's jab Feely's jab was really the difference maker in this fight. The jab worked, and he really stuck through it throughout the fight. And you know what? If it's not broke, don't fix it. And he used the jab to get a decision win over Miles Jury by the end of the three rounds. Feely was pretty hyped up, even though it was a decision win. He was very hyped up at the end of the fight, and he... Um, and, and, you know, a win over uh, another up-and-coming prospect similar to yourself like Miles Jury is something to, you know, be very excited about. So he got on the mic afterwards and said, you know, he's looking to make a push for the title this year. And I think if he puts together two or three more solid, um, impressive wins within the bantamweight division, I think you do got you do have a... Um, Excuse me, excuse me, the uh, the featherweight division. Andre Feely is in the featherweight division. Um, but yeah, if he puts together two or three more fights within the featherweight division, I think you do have a worthy title shot coming. Um, yeah, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Uh, I know uh, Feely has kind of won some and lost some during his time in the UFC. So if he can put together a couple really you know, compelling wins, I think he's not too far off. And by the end of the year, who knows what could happen. Um but yeah, yeah, Andre Feely is a interesting, um, an interesting fighter, an exciting fighter, and he did go, he, he did seemingly go for the finish throughout the fight, um, and he kept it, he kept it really interesting. So I, I, I did enjoy this fight, and uh, I think both guys are great prospects moving forward. Even though Miles Jury lost and Andre Feely won, um, I think both guys moving forward um, have a lot of potential and uh, pretty bright futures within the UFC if they can, you know, get Jury get back on the winning track and Feely, you know, continue his winning his winning record. So 
probably next is the best fight of the night. This was the uh, fight of the night. Um, they both got a 50K bonus. Uh, Vicente Luque versus Brian Barbarina. This was, uh, you know, I mean, this is what an MMA fighter's uh, dream. This is, uh, you know, the kind of fight that that is the reason fans boo when there is little action because they're always looking for this fans are always looking for this type of exciting fight it's the gaichi effect you know it's the you know really put yourself out on the line and you know give it everything you got and i was absolutely so impressed with barbarina and luke in this fight it was definitely the most exciting uh, exciting fight on the card and barbarina has a freaking granite chin his ability to eat all of luke's shots up until the end was I? I mean, I have no idea how he did it. Most fighters would have been finished way earlier in the fight, but Barbarina, his granite chin just absorbed blow after blow after blow, and um, he is a warrior. I mean, he is the definition of a fighter, and I couldn't have been more impressed with him. And although Barbarina escaped a tight submission attempt early on, uh, he was able to just keep moving through, escaped any submissions attempt thereafter, and was able to absorb most of Luque's toughest shots that he had. Um, Luque, to his credit as well, uh, I mean, Barbarina to his credit, although he was, you know, noteworthy for absorbing the amount of shots he did, he really... Um, was able to connect with some vicious shots on Luke too, and Luke had a granite chin of his own and was able to absorb most of the shots. And it was a vicious back and forth between two warriors. And um, they said it was 322 significant strikes before the fight was over. And um, the fight ended at four minutes and 54 seconds in the third round. So we had six seconds left in the fight, and Luke finished Barbarina with with uh, punches and a few knees. And um, I think this that they were they said that this was the uh, most significant strikes in welterweight history. Um, I mean, don't quote me on that, but they yeah I I believe that was the there's 322 is the record for the most significant strikes held in a fight. Yeah, in welterweight history, and that is you know that's uh, <laughs> so impressive and the fight had me my heart beating the whole way through i couldn't have been more impressed with either of the guys the heart of barbarina to you know not say you know i'm not gonna i'm not done i'm not done and luke to continue to put on the pressure and uh, eat barbarina shots and continue to move forward i can't say enough good things about either of these two guys and i can't wait to see both of them back in action again Moving on, Alex Caceres versus Crone Gracie. So this was an interesting fight because um, I think it was the fifth Gracie to fight within the UFC. And Crone, in interviews leading up to it, showed you know he wasn't super interested in doing the media obligations. And he more or less wanted to test himself uh, rather than get the notoriety that came with entering the UFC and... Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Also, I heard, I heard that... Um, Crone wasn't initially interested in an MMA career because uh, he wasn't sure if he actually wanted to become a fighter in necessarily mixed martial arts. He enjoyed his art of jiu-jitsu, but he wasn't sure if mixed martial arts was the way he wanted to take his career. And he realized that he loves training. And, uh, you know, I mean, every jujitsu guy loves to train, but he realized that, you know, throughout his training, he kind of, you know, got the itch to train for a particular reason. And that's what got him 
you know, really motivated to continue his MMA career. And um, that's part of the reason why we saw him there on uh, last night, Sunday night. He is... Um, you know, back to he, he he is in the UFC to you know honor his his family's name, the Gracie name, and show that he is worthy of the namesake. And boy, did he! He had said going into the fight that he um, he wanted a higher caliber opponent than Caceres, and because kind of going back to what I said, he he wanted to test his skills against the highest the highest skill sets um, the highest skill sets there are. And he he wanted to, you know, test his abilities against other equally um, skilled and, and talented opponents. And he, he I guess he didn't feel that Alex Caceres was up to the level that he was kind of looking to test his skills against. And that kind of made me think, oh, man, I don't know. I really hope he's not looking over Caceres because Caceres is a vet in the UFC in a lot of ways. And although his record... Um, doesn't necessarily reflect his skill set. I mean, Caceres is a beast, and he has been in a ton of fights. And to overlook a guy like him was uh, going to be bad news. But Crone, I mean, he came, he came, he came to kill. Um, he won by guillotine choke about halfway through round number one, and he made it. He made it look way too easy. He was able to take to secure the takedown. He um, he slipped the guillotine. Uh, Caceres did. You could tell he didn't want to tap, but uh, it was in tight, and he he had no choice. And that was the end. Caceres got up at the end and kind of looked to his corner and was like, "Man, wow, what happened?" And um, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. I can't. I can't imagine you probably dr- drilling and drilling and drilling for weeks on end for that that you know the takedown defense and um, you know stopping stopping the submission on the ground and um, just goes to show you that Crone is the real deal. He's worthy of being in the UFC and he is, yeah, a very interesting prospect in the featherweight division. So. Yeah, I can't wait to see Crone's next fight. I can't wait to see him test himself again. Perhaps put I I, I kind of want to see someone um, you know put him into a little bit more testing waters, and I think that's what Crone actually wants for himself too. Another high, another um, probably higher caliber opponent. So I think we're gonna see him back in action soon, and I can't wait to see that. Courtney Casey, you know, who was a vet in the strawweight division. Uh, took on Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo had a um, noteworthy loss against. Uh, let's see who that was. Uh, sorry, my memory escapes me. But so Cynthia Calvillo uh, obviously is pretty notorious for her personality. She is uh, seemingly relatively hot-headed, and. Um, she yeah she talked a lot of trash you know throughout the early parts of her her, her career up until uh, the end of 2017 at UFC 219 Cyborg versus Home where she lost uh, a decision to Carlos Barza and since then she has been looking to get back on the winning track and that she did um, against Poliana Botelo in UFC Fight Night 140 Magni versus Ponzinibbio last November and again she did against Courtney Casey on uh, Sunday night yeah I mean uh, Cynthia Cavillo looked great and it was a it was a pretty competitive fight between two great prospects in the strawweight division and uh, yeah I can't wait to see where Cavillo goes next in the uh, the strawweight division so 
Moving on to James Vick versus Paul the uh, Irish Dragon Felder. So, yeah, this this was an interesting fight to see where both guys are at. Because Paul Felder's last fight was at welterweight. He stepped up to fill in for an opponent that fell through. He stepped in for uh, Mike Perry. Um, actually, you know what? I think the James Vick-Paul Felder fight got canceled. And then... Which was supposed to be last July. And so because the fight got canceled, Paul stepped up to fill in for... Stepped up to fight Mike Perry on short notice, or uh, I guess a week earlier in July. But either way, uh, Paul, who Felder, who fights at 155 pounds, stepped up to welterweight to fight Mike Perry. In that fight, which was a bloody mess, he uh, broke his arm due to a spinning back fist. He broke his arm. And continued to fight on. It was an impressive fight. At the end, Mike Perry got the W, but you cannot take anything away from the absolute heart of Paul Felder. And the heart was again on full display Sunday night when he took on James Vick. James Vick coming off of a pretty vicious first round knockout loss um, to Justin Gaethje. And it was it was it was a pretty good fight. Felder looked awesome. He was looking for the finish quite a few times throughout the fight. His low kicks were absolutely making the difference. He um, was forcing Vic to change stances quite a few times throughout the fight because that he, he kept he kept low cat calf he kept low cal. Excuse me, man, I just can't talk. He kept low calf kicking uh, James Vick's, uh, you know, lead leg, and he was forcing him to change stances, and it it absolutely was effective because the changing of stances allowed Felder to move in with more significant strikes, and at the end, Felder got the decision win. However, he it came out after the fight that he suffered a collapsed lung sometime in the third round. And how about that dude for suffering a collapsed lung but still going on to win the fight, give a post-fight um, uh, interview, and then you know leave the leave the arena like a savage. The guy the guy's a beast, and I completely respect his heart. He's now going to be ranked, you know, I guess at least ten. He went from the rank he went from unranked to number ten taking Vic's spot and he wants the winner of Justin Gaethje uh, Edson Barboza who are fighting in uh, UFC Philly uh, at the end of March so yeah, and Paul Felder, you know, I think he's probably remiss that he couldn't have been on that card being that he is from Philadelphia but yeah, he he was supposed to uh, no, no, he was never supposed to fight Gaethje he was supposed to fight uh, Ally Quinta, but anyway Justin Gaethje and Edson Barboza is going to be a really interesting fight. Barboza obviously got a pretty decisive win over Felder or a couple years ago, early in Felder's career. And Felder said, you know, if Barboza wins, you know, I want to fight him again and get that win back. If Gaethje wins, he is someone who has been I have been really interested in fighting since he came into the UFC. And for Vic, I mean, really nothing to hang your head about. I mean, you fought a really tough Paul Felder, and there's a couple just a couple a couple little differences that you can probably make in terms of your yeah in terms of avoiding those kicks those low calf kicks and also protecting yourself from the the head strikes and i think you i think he'll be he'll be just fine i mean he's a a very talented extremely tall guy for the lightweight division and um yeah i can't wait to see where both these guys go uh paul felder I think he definitely deserves the winner of Gaethje Barboza, especially because he's been around for a long time. He's a very game opponent. Uh, we'll have to see how he heals up from that collapsed lung, but can't wait to see what he brings on next. Okay, so main event. 
we had the rising star, the guy who has come to be, you know, very popular in Cain Velasquez's absence, Francis Ngannou, taking on who was once, you know, the king of the heavyweight division, the the guy who at least Joe Rogan considers to be the best heavyweight of all time. You know, it was old school versus new school. And the, you know, the fight was really interesting. Kane seemed more motivated than ever. Francis Ngannou seemed very stoic and ready to go. His confidence seemed to be back after winning, um, you know, his last fight against uh, Curtis Blades. So the fight ended in the uh, the first minute. I think, only, I think it lasted like 30-something seconds. Ngannou won the fight via TKO. And um, yeah, it was it was it was a great win for Ngannou to get a win over a guy like Cain Velasquez. And you know, you also kind of got to take into consideration, um, yeah, Cain, right? Because you feel bad for him because you know after all these injuries that plagued him and all the things that have kept him out of the octagon for so long, he you know he finally comes back and um, the one thing he was looking to avoid throughout the fight actually happened to him. He got, he got, you know, finished by a guy that was, you know, that was his game plan to finish you in the first round. And that's what happened. There was a lot of controversy surrounding the loss. Um, people were saying, you know, was it a true knockout or was Velasquez's knee tore? You know, did he tweak his knee? And that is what forced him to go to the ground rather than um, an uppercut from Ngannou. Well, at first, that's what I thought. I thought that, you know, I think Velasquez tweaked his knee and that's why he fell. But no, I think... I watched the replay a couple times and, you know, I, I mean, I could be wrong. Obviously, uh, you know, it is tough to see when people are really close in the clinch like that. But it looked like what put Velasquez on his butt on the ground was a pretty gnarly uppercut from Nganu. I mean, I think that is what rocked Velasquez and that is why he kind of moved. He fell backwards and ultimately tweaked his knee, fell to the ground and got finished. Uh, but either way, I mean, it was a solid win for Ngannou and you can't take anything away from him. Um, regardless of the controversy surrounding it, he came and did his job. Velasquez, I don't know what do you do next for a guy like him because, you know, he, he was off for two and a half years and he came back and um, he had said, you know, previously, if I can't compete at the highest of levels, I don't want to be here. You know, if I can't compete with the best of the best, you know, I don't, I don't want to prolong a career that you know, just doesn't exist anymore. And I respect that. And I agree with it wholeheartedly. I think it is very important to be um, aware of where you're at towards the end of your career. And Kane seems to be at least attempting to do so. I almost expected him after that loss to announce his retirement, especially if his knee actually is damaged and is going to need any sort of rehab or surgery. But no, I think I think he isn't looking to retire. I think he's probably looking to get another fight. But we'll have to see. Um, I really hope we don't well, we don't have him out for another another two years. I mean, that would be that'd be a bummer. But we'll have to see. Um, yeah, it was a disappointing return of the once heavyweight king, and it was probably a lot of people getting back on the hype train of Francis Ngannou. So now, what do we do with Francis? Does he deserve a title shot? I mean, I would love to see Daniel Cormier versus Francis Ngannou. I know, I mean, it's a wrestler versus someone with seemingly weak takedown defense and weak wrestling skills. But that's what Ngannou has been doing for the last year, fighting wrestlers. And uh, he looked pretty good at it against against a guy who, you know, was considered to be probably one of the best wrestlers in 
Yeah, but one of the most notorious, one of the most accomplished UFC fighters with a good wrestling base, and yeah, DC DC I know doesn't seem like he's interested in the rematch with Stipe at least right now. Uh, he's looking for the Brock Lesnar fight. I know the John Jones fights out there. I don't know if how interested he is at that. He said you know maybe I'd do it at heavyweight. John Jones wants to do it at light heavyweight. I mean it's a mess, and I don't know where DC's at in terms of how he wants to finish off his career. But Francis Ngannou is an interesting matchup, and one that would give DC an opportunity to um, avenge avenge his teammate, and it would also be a great chance for Nganu to you know put more notoriety to his name and um, you know that would be a history making win for him in his career so yeah that that is uh, UFC on ESPN one that was uh, wrapped up I mean it kind of kind of was plagued a little bit of the um, the lackluster feeling that I got from the two Bellator cards but with with the James Vic Paul Felder fight, it definitely delivered. The Crone Gracie fight was awesome. The Brian Barberina Vincent, I mean Vicente Luque fight was was was, I mean, as good as it gets in terms of excitement value. So, I mean, it, overall, it was a pretty decent card. Um, again, you know, you kind of feel for Kane because he lost his he lost the Fox the Fox debut card against JDS and now he lost the ESPN debut card against Francis Ngannou. I don't know if it's some kind of nasty curse or or whatever it be, but crazy. All right, moving on. So, I already uh broke down for you Bellator 217, which is going to be this Friday night, James Gallagher uh, versus Stephen Graham. So Saturday night, you got UFC on ESPN Plus 3. So you guys who haven't hopped on the ESPN Plus train yet, and maybe it's time to do so. Um, <clears throat> but I understand if you don't for this particular fight card because it is um, not necessarily stacked especially when you compare it to the Inganu Velasquez ESPN one card that we just had Sunday night. So one of the first fights you got on the main card is Jean Vellante versus, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this, Michael Olskovich. Um, Sorry that I absolutely probably butchered that name, but um, Vellante has been uh, on a lot of winning and losing sides of a handful of split decisions. I think he's had four or five split decisions in his last couple of fights, and some of them he lost, some of them he won. But um, you feel for Vellante because, uh, you know, he's a really great fighter, really athletic fighter, one who almost had a career in the NFL. Yeah, and he's a beast. He, train, he trains with the uh, the New York crew, with, uh, I think, Aya Quinta and all of them, so Weidman and such and you feel for him because uh you know he he's a fighter who has a lot of potential and um and yeah and uh he's had a lot of a lot of a lot of opportunities to you know win the big fights but when it came to the the fights that would take him on the path to you know being a title contender he just never quite won those fights but you know he is in his in his 30s now but you know there's never there's never a time too late to make another one last run so his fight here is against Michael Olskovich and Olskovich in his own um in in his respect has been out since UFC 219 which was Cyborg versus Home he beat Khalil Khalil Roundtree on that card, but it was later overturned because Olskovich tested positive for a banned supplements. I think he served two years, and 
So yeah, now this is back about two years later. Um, Olskovich is looking to get back, you know, in the UFC and get a couple fights under his belt and start becoming a threat in the lightweight division. I mean, the light heavyweight division. And Jean Vellante is looking to, you know, get a get a big win. And I think this fight's going to be fun. So we'll have to see what these two guys bring to it. But I think it's going to be a really fun fight. And I can't wait to see what comes out of it. So moving on, we got Stefan Struve versus Mokos Ruggiero de Lima. And they're both, I mean, these are both vets in their own respect. Struve has, is coming off of losses to Volkov, uh, Arlovsky, and Tabura. So uh, this is, uh, he's, he's on a bit of a skid. Uh, and if he gets four losses in a row, I mean, that's really probably about time, you know, start considering calling it a career. Although he is in his early 30s, Struve has been around what feels like forever. And... And yeah, when you get on a skid, you know, if, if this is his, if he loses this, I mean, it's it's really worth, you know, four fights in a row. I mean, it's you got to really start thinking maybe it's time to hang it up. But Struve, you know, at seven foot tall, he is a towering, towering heavyweight, and he brings with him, um, you know, a pretty interesting skill set. And although he he has losses to Volkov, Arlovsky, and Tabura, I think I think this is a great chance for Struve to possibly, you know put one more fight at the end of his career or make a little bit of a, a run of a couple wins, string a couple wins together while before he ends his career. So this is a great opportunity for Struve to get back on the winning track. And this is um, Marcos Ruggio de Lima's um, opportunity to really make a statement in the heavyweight division. He's moved around weight classes um, I think he even got down to middleweight at one point. I think it says on his record, which is absolutely insane. But he had fought at light heavyweight, missed weight a couple times in the UFC, and now this is his second weight, his second fight back at the in the heavyweight division. He fought one fight earlier um, since he he so he returned to the heavyweight division of one fight ago and won, and now he's looking to um, get his second win since returning the heavyweight division against Stefan Struve. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, both guys in their own respect have fought for uh, quite some time. And especially Struve being the vet he is, um, it'd be great to see him get that win, uh, especially because he's on this this uh, losing streak. But yeah, for either for either guy, I mean, this is uh, would be a great win in the heavyweight division, considering the notoriety it's starting to get between DC. You know, there's perspective um, John Jones stepping up and Francis Ngannou, Derek Lewis. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of hype starting to generate in the heavyweight division, and I think for either guy, this would be a great opportunity to make a statement, especially as the co-main event on this ESPN Plus card. So. We got as the main event Tiago Santos versus um, I don't I don't want to accidentally say <laughs> Jan Blachowicz. So Tiago Santos versus Jan Blachowicz. Uh, Blachowicz, yeah, I think it's Blachowicz. Jan Blachowicz versus Tiago Santos. So Jan Blachowicz is on a four-fight winning streak against. Um, one of the, uh, two of the guys that he he has beat in the UFC of worthy note on this streak is Jared Cannonier and Jimmy Manoa. So uh, Blahowicz is certainly a surging contender within the light heavyweight division. 
Santos, for his respect, um, has put together quite a few impressive wins over guys like Anthony Smith, Nate Marquardt, Elias Theodoro, Eric Anders, and after the Eric Anders fight, um, in which in a way he kind of derailed the Eric Anders hype train that was starting. And Anders is a beast, you know. I just don't know if he was quite ready for Santos yet. Keep in mind, Eric Anders did step up to fight Santos on short notice, but um, takes nothing away against Diago Santos and his. Yeah, and his abilities. I mean, he's a vet. He's been around for quite some time. And um, he just knocked out Jimmy Manawa. After the Eric Anders fight, he knocked out Jimmy, Jimmy Manawa at UFC 231, which was the Holloway Ortega card in early December. So he's getting right back in there, you know, about two months. Yeah, two. Yeah, roughly two months later. And uh, yeah, he's looking to continue his tear that he's he's making in the light heavyweight division against Jan Blahowicz. And um, it's going to be an interesting fight. I don't, I don't know if this is probably the most exciting ESPN, the most exciting fight night card that we have had in recent memory. Um, but I think there's a couple interesting fights in the card between you know John Volante, Stefan Struve, Marcos Regio de Lima, Jan Blankovic, and Diago Santos. I, th- I mean, it's a pretty decent card. Um, it is not. Uh, gonna blow anyone away and it's not gonna make some of the casual fans really freak out and feel like they need to see it but I'll definitely be watching it and I think it's gonna be interesting especially for a couple of these I mean really it's it's an opportunity for a lot of guys in these various weight classes it's giving them a lot of opportunity to put the spotlight on them get a big win and propel themselves further in each of their respective divisions and I think that's what UFC is trying to do illuminate some of the great prospects they have between you know light heavyweight divisions, the the heavyweight divisions, and um, so on. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see what comes of um, the Bellator 217 card with uh, James Gallagher and um, Stephen Graham on Friday night, and then uh, Jan Blankovic versus Diego Santos on Saturday night. I think that's going to be a pretty interesting card too. I would love to see a finish in that fight. Um, that would be pretty exciting. So we'll have to see what comes of it. But uh, yeah, that's my breakdown of um, UFC on ESPN one Bellator 215 216. Uh, my my preview of Bellator 217 and of course my preview of UFC on ESPN plus three. Um, I'm sorry if I seemed a bit uh, down today. I think I was just so excited going into last weekend between the the two Bellator you know cards and then the UFC uh, on ESPN card. I was just so hyped about it, and I I just couldn't wait. And um, yeah, I just there was so much there was so much hype in my mind at least going into those fights, and it just didn't deliver on the level that I thought. E- each of the respective cards did, um, and possibly the the last card of the week, the last fight of the weekend, Ngannou versus Kane. I mean, that was a great fight for Ngannou, but I just wish we could have saw a better version of Kane. I feel like, you know, all the training he put into it, I can't imagine that that is the best he had in him, and I wish he would have got a better chance to showcase his skills. But yeah, it's the fight. It's the fight game, and you never know what matchups are going to result in and that's the most exciting part about it so this is my second official uh 
MMA show on taking inspiration. I'm glad that you guys sat with it with it through me, and um, thanks for you know listening to me as I get this podcast going. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. So, again, this is Dakota Finley, taking inspiration, and I'll catch you in the next one. All right, talk to you later, guys.